0: Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we conclude our series, Bumper Sticker Theology. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always join us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there.
1: Well, good morning, community. How are you feeling this morning. It is good to be with you. Happy Father's Day once more. It's uh, my first Father's Day, so I've been crying all day. So we'll see if I can get through this. Um, As John mentioned, we're wrapping up our series, Bumper Sticker Theology. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to end the way that we began the series with a couple of uh, bumper stickers. And so y'all have been sending me bumper stickers throughout the whole month. Um, Most of them I can't show here. Uh, Thanks for that but I thought I'd share with you uh, a couple of my favorite. This first one is just informative, right? This is the back of my car. That's very helpful. Thank you, bumper sticker, for identifying the back of the car. This uh, this next one's also quite helpful. Uh, Please don't hit me. I'm not 100% sure about my coverage. (laughs) It's just honest, right? You got to appreciate their honesty. Now, it takes a turn here uh, to get a little snarkier. Here's one that I thought was funny. If you can read this, I'm not impressed. Most people can read. <laughs> uh, but this last one, though, this last one is the most religious in nature, and uh, I actually really do agree with this one. Let's check it out. Uh, I bet Jesus would have used his turn signals. <laughs> right? Yeah. Applause. Both services <laughs> for that. It's so easy. Just use your turn signal. Um, The reason we've called this the bumper sticker theology is that there's all sorts of like phrases and platitudes within Christianity that often without checked make their way into the way that we think about God, church, and the world. And so we're asking this question, is it biblically sound or does it just sound biblical? Is it actually biblically sound or does it it just have like enough like, Christian flavor to it to, like, squeak on by. And we can do this not only just with phrases that we come up with, but also just pulling verses out of context, proof text. There's all sorts of ways that we can do this, and so we've been unpacking what do, what's really behind these common phrases. And so the phrase that I want to kind of talk a little bit about today is this one, uh, God is my co-pilot. Anyone heard that one before? God is my co-pilot. The, the one that's The thing that's interesting about this, though, is that uh, for the other three, they they typically are things that we actually do say. And this one is one that I think we maybe know better than to actually say out loud. But what I kind of want to talk about, though, is how this type of thinking can kind of work its way into our life. Because at first, it sort of sounds good, right? sounds pretty spiritual. It's like as I'm, you know, flying the plane of my life, I got, I got God right here next to me. Can you picture it? And flying a 747. He's right there with his cute little hat. Like, it sounds biblical. It sounds spiritual, even. But what I, what I want to kind of assert here is that this kind of thinking, if it takes root, can actually be really, really dangerous. I, uh, I read a leadership book years ago, and the whole kind of thesis of the book was this. That the enemy of great things aren't actually bad things the enemy of great things aren't bad things, the obviously wrong things. The enemy of great things are good things. The enemy of great things are good things that kind of get in the way and take the place often of the great things in our life. God as co-pilot seems like a good idea, right? Especially if you think about I don't know, maybe like the, the trajectory of your life or the past that you've lived. Maybe there's a point in your life where God wasn't even allowed in the plane, right? So now as co-pilot, sound, that sounds pretty good. And I do want to affirm that. That is, that is good, but I don't want good things to take the place of the best things that I believe that God has for us. So today I want to, I want to take a look at a, a guy in the Bible, a good guy, and uh, I'll kind of set the scene here. Um, this guy approaches Jesus— and he essentially asks this question. He says, what do I have to do to assure myself eternal life? It's a pretty fair question, right? He's, he's learned of Jesus. Jesus has done some pretty incredible things. He has a chance to kind of ask him an important question. What do I have to do to assure myself uh, eternal life? Now, the response that Jesus gives is one that pretty much any Jewish man in first century Palestine would have expected. Jesus essentially says... Keep the commandments, right? Keep the. He would not have been shocked to hear that. But I love, I love the guy's next question because Jesus says keep the commands, and then the young guy essentially says, uh, "Yeah, okay, but um, like which ones in particular?" <laughs> right? <laughs> Can anyone resonate with that kind of question? Sure, sure, sure. Um, we know God gave us ten, but did He really intend for us to keep all ten? Right? I don't know what he was expecting Jesus to say. Like was was he thinking Jesus would say, Oh no no no, just just follow one, three, five, seven, and nine, the even numbers are just filler. Don't worry about those ones. Like I don't I don't really know what he expected the man to say, but Jesus goes on and lists some of the commandments. Don't kill anybody, don't cheat on your wife, don't steal, don't lie. To which the young guy goes, Great, I've done I've done all of those things. I'm 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 in pretty good shape. Little did this guy know, though, that Jesus was preparing to go after the one thing that Jesus knew this guy was holding on to. Listen to verse 21, what he says. It says, If you wish to be complete, if you wish to experience this fullness of life, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then, come, follow me. So, for some people, I think that, that would have been no problem. Like, great, done. I'm going I'm to sell all, all of it. But for this guy, it wasn't so easy. The Bible tells us that he, this guy was rich, and like, like, rich, rich. Like, make it rain, Scrooge McDuck rich. This guy was wealthy. And Matthew tells us that he left sad. So they have this unique exchange. Jesus adds this one additional comment, and the guy walks away Sad. So in Jesus' first response, right, the guy asks a question. He says, um, keep the commandments. And then the guy has a follow-up, and then he lists something that's not one of the Ten Commandments. Isn't that interesting? He says keep the commands and lists a few of them, and then he adds something uh, that isn't on the Ten. He says, go and get rid of your stuff. Sell your stuff, give to the poor, and then come follow me. Why would Jesus do that? Why the additional command the reason i think jesus is doing this and we see this throughout the bible is that god is not just interested in our actions he wants our hearts he's not just interested in obedience as important as that is he wants our whole lives jesus begins to drill down to the thing that really was holding on to this guy's heart think about it like this um if you enter the cockpit of a plane, you'll probably find something like this, right? Um, okay, well, maybe not, maybe not exactly like this, but in fact, if you walk into a plane and you see this in the cockpit, <laughs> you need to get off that plane immediately. Um, so essentially, what, what this guy is asking Jesus is, he says, what do I need to let go of to fully take on, to fully take hold of the full abundant life that I know you have for me. And so they have this unique exchange and Jesus lists a few things and the guy's thinking, awesome, great. I I don't do any of those things. But then the guy asks this in verse 20. He says, what else must I do? What else must I do? I've never really thought about this before. But what a fascinating response, right? Like if if this guy approaches Jesus, Jesus says, keep the commandments, lists a few, and the guy says, great, I'm clean. Why not just say, awesome, nailed it. Good chat, Jesus, and then be on his merry way. Why, when Jesus tells him these things and he knows he's batting a thousand, why not just thank him for his time and walk away? The reason that I think this guy asks this question, what else must I do, is because he knows something is missing. He knows in his heart of hearts, I have this obedience, I've been following the rules, something is still missing. Missing. He knew that he was still gripping the steering wheel of his life and that something was missing. And so Jesus does what he often does and he goes right after the heart. See, for us, it's easy to look at behavior, right? It's easy for us to look at actions. Jesus cuts right through all of that and he goes right after this guy's heart. Jesus, in essence, says, You need to let go of that steering wheel. So let me. Pause and just ask us this morning. What have you been gripping on to? What good thing, or maybe not so good thing, have you been white-knuckling for control, for identity, for purpose? For you, maybe it's like this guy. Maybe it's money. And let's, can we all just be honest? Money's just a thing, right? It's not good, it's not bad. But when we begin to, to go after or hoard money for our security, for our identity, for our purpose, then it becomes a thing, it becomes a good thing that can become an enemy of the best thing. Maybe for you, it's success that could be success at work or with your friends. And again, that's not bad, but when that, that when that becomes our driving force behind everything that we do, that can become a problem. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's pleasure of some kind that when life gets tough or when difficulties weigh in, you, you long for just any kind of escape, even if just for a moment. Maybe it's people-pleasing, right? Maybe what's on your mind at all times is to try to make everyone else around you happy, to seek the approval of others. Maybe it's perfectionism. You just can't let your flaws go. You can't allow yourself to be forgiven. You can't move on from your mistakes. I honestly think, like this young guy, a lot of us are confused because we're here this morning and we think, man, I've... I've taken good steps, I've followed the rules, right? I've I've sought God's approval, his advice, his insight, and yet I'm still wondering, maybe you've never said it out loud, but you feel it in your gut, what else must I do? What am I missing? So what I think we all need to do, regardless of our story, regardless of where you came from, what brought you here this morning, I would put it this way, that if God is in the co-pilot's chair, we need to switch seats. If God is our co-pilot, we need to switch seats. The truth that I think we need to come face to face with is that God has never been content sitting in the co-pilot's chair. And here's the secret. We'll never be content with him there either. That's never been a part of the plan. I think the gospel writer Mark puts it brilliantly. Here's an interaction with Jesus he records. Jesus is saying, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. So right out the gate, he's making it very clear. I'm not interested in being a genie or an advisor. Give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, if you try to grip whatever that thing is, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. I mean, that's pretty on the nose, isn't it? This, this, isn't, this isn't buddy Jesus or corporate partner Jesus or advisor Jesus. This is, this is an all-in, no-going-back Jesus. This isn't like signing up for a book club. He's saying, if you really want to follow me, um, that means you don't get to be in the driver's seat anymore that means that you look at all of your life your skills, your talents, your resources the relationships that God's given you all of it is a gift that he's entrusted with us Jesus is saying that if we really want to follow him we have to shift the center of gravity in our lives that's the invitation to to take hold of the kingdom we have to let go of our own to take hold of God's kingdom we have to let go of our own now, I think it's easy to forget, like, when we, when we see phrases like, take up your cross, um, we have to remember that at the time this was said, the, the cross was not, like, a nice, comforting metaphor, okay? There was no cross jewelry. There was no hipsters with cross tattoos. Like, it didn't, it didn't exist. The cross was the symbol of the most terrible, humiliating, excruciating execution known to mankind at the time. So to take up a cross would have sounded absolutely crazy to those first hearing it. Like that would have sent shivers down spines. Like what do you, take up a cross? Well, that that sounds like death. Sounds like dying to ourselves. The cross is an all in, no going back type of commitment. Now, I'll be really honest. This is way easier said than done, right? It's one thing, for me to stand on stage and say the cross is about giving up your entire life for the sake of Jesus. And many of us maybe would even nod in agreement, but that is really hard to do because I I think a lot of us are, we're really okay with God as sort of a, like a tag along as long as he doesn't disrupt my plans, right? I'm glad for him to like hang out and speak into some areas of my life, but you, you don't, I've worked really hard to establish what I have or where I'm going. And and. I think, if we're really honest, a lot of us think Jesus is a good savior, but not necessarily a good role model, right? Like, we're grateful that we get to go to heaven when we die because of him, but as, as far as like living in the here and now, I don't, I don't know that I want my, my life to be modeled after that. And I think the reason that we struggle to, to really loosen our grip around that steering wheel comes down to trust. I really think so. I think it's it's easy for us to think that like God doesn't really have our best in mind, because if I if I loosen my grip, then what if he what if he calls me to do things I don't want to do, or to go places that I don't want to go? W- what about the blueprint that I've worked so meticulously to design? And the thing that I think is beneath that, for a lot of us maybe, is that we don't actually trust that God has our best in mind. Right? We think he's trying to keep something from us. But those of us who have learned that this isn't true, it's incredibly life-giving. When, when God invites us to be a people of generosity, he knows that living a life with open hands is actually a way better way to live. When he invites us to bear each other's burdens, he's not trying to punish us. He knows that life lived in like true, authentic community is way better than a life of isolation. When he invites us to make him not number two, not number three, four, five, but number one, it's not because he's needy. It's not because he's lonely. It's because he knows that when we put the weight and expectation of God on anything other than God, that thing eventually crumbles beneath the weight. It can't hold up. So the question maybe on all of our minds that is what does it look like then to get out of the captain's seat? to loosen our grip, I think it comes down to this word. And the word is surrender. Surrender sees all that we are and all that we have as a gift from God. And let me just ask bluntly, who would have a better idea of what to do with what he's given us than the one who made us in the first place? The one who sees us fully and completely, who wired us, who created us, who gave us life who would have a better idea of what to do with those things? I, I understand it's, it's difficult to hand the steering wheel over. It really, really is. But I believe what's on the other side of surrender is so much greater than we could possibly dream or imagine. And someone who knows this really, really well is my friend Patrick. Here's his
0: story. My name is Patrick O'Connell, and I found my way back to God at Community about 12 years ago. After my parents divorced when I was 12, we just stopped going to church. There was no spiritual conversation. And like many of us, the teenage years for me were kind of a hard time, rebellious time. Kind of got to this place where Christianity and Jesus was one of many offerings. And that led me to just be very, very agnostic um, at best, and probably atheist in my worst days. But at some point in life, we all have to come to this place where we have to answer those most important questions. Who we are? Is there a God? What's the point of all this? And for me, that was all tied up in this journey through business. So here I am, I'm working with millionaires and billionaires, all great people, but nobody was giving me any of that truth. I wasn't getting any of those answers that I was longing for. And that was scary, dreadful, that was an existential crisis for me. I wasn't paying attention to the kid, my kids and their emotional needs. I was being um, rather demanding and insensitive with my wife. And I knew I was a broken man, uh, but I had no answers. We happened to move into a new neighborhood and my wife befriended this family. And they were very kind and they, they were the family that had the parties in the neighborhood. So we would always go over there and there'd be lots of music and it was a lot of fun and that woman went to community, and eventually asked my wife to go. I'm like, no, we are not going to church, I'm not going to church, we're not gonna start this. Uh, I was literally hostile to it, I could feel it. My wife eventually went, and she said, I'm just gonna go, so she stops asking. And uh, my wife came to community. She had an experience with Jesus that day. Uh, It had to do with some issues of forgiveness, some issues of surrender in her own life, And um, she came home and told me about it. I said, that's great, but I don't want any part of it. I don't want anything to do with it. But I started to see my wife change. And it was in small ways, but very uh, important ways to me. She seemed to be more caring and more patient. There was always this sense to me of jealousy about that. I guess I was always jealous of people who had some sort of a spiritual relationship. Uh, They had something that I didn't but um, she was starting to have it, and that made me pretty angry. And every once in a while I'd ask my, my wife a question or 2 or so, what do they do at that church? What are they talking about? And I think what I struggled with was this, this free gift of grace, this demand that God makes on us to surrender, that there's got to be something that I, I have to let down my guard. I have to stop doing life with fists up and open-handedly accept this gift of grace from Jesus. And once that clicked, well, then my life changed. Since that first surrender, there have been multiple opportunities for me to continue to surrender to God. And I I guess he likes it that way. But that started for me on this leadership pathway and stepping into the leadership development path that we have here at Community. And then that next point of surrender was as we went to Kansas City and planting all of these new churches. And then the next point of surrender for me was coming back to Chicago to be the director of new Thing. And along all of that journey, the more I surrender to God, it seems to me the more he can do in my life.
1: Yeah. So here's what I think we need to do. I think we all need to loosen our grip around the steering wheel of our lives, and this isn't Okay, some like let go and let God moment. That's another bumper sticker that we don't have time to talk about. God designed us, he wired us, he created us for partnership, to join him in the work of bringing hope and healing to a hurting world. It's it's meant to be a joining him, a partnership. But to do that, to really do that, to take hold of the life that is really life, we first have to surrender. We first have to loosen our grip around whatever it is that we've been holding on to for control, for purpose, for identity, for significance, for security, whatever that thing is, Jesus is interested not just in our actions, but our heart. What has its grip around your heart this morning? So I wanna challenge us to, um, to do something a little different. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes wherever you're at, and I want you to actually... To physically do this, pretend that you're gripping a steering wheel. Go ahead, reach out, grip grip that steering wheel. Don't just hold on to it, but grip it. Grip it like you're driving through a blizzard right now. Grip it so tight that your knuckles start to turn white. And I want you to think about what is that thing that you've been holding on to? What person, idea, goal, possession... Have you been clinging to that you need to fully and completely surrender to God? Maybe for the first time, maybe you need to surrender it again. Ask yourself, what areas of my life have I insisted that I be in the driver's seat that I need to invite God to take complete control of? Maybe you've been in the driver's seat for too long. Maybe it's time to fully surrender. It's one thing to trust God with our afterlife. It's another thing to surrender to him in the here and now, to steer our lives. So with your eyes still closed, I want you to actually picture that thing, envision that thing you've been gripping, and I want you to actually let it go. Physically, open your hands, let it go, palms up on your lap. I want you to envision Jesus lovingly reminding you, looking you in the eye, and saying, I know you. I know your heart. I know what you need. I know you and love you more than anyone has ever known or loved you. And you can trust me. With your arms still out, hands open, would you pray with me? God, thank you. That you see us and you see us completely. That there's not any part of our mind or our heart that's not known by you. And that, I believe, is why you're not content, God, with simply being obedient. Following through on actions. That you actually want our hearts, God. So with this posture, we say, maybe for the first time... Maybe for the thousandth time, God, I'm giving you the steering wheel. Do something in and through me, way beyond what I could ever dream or imagine. And God, remind us that you promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, God. Thank you for loving us with that kind of love. Let me pray all these things in the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.